Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Menocast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with pastor, author, and social media enthusiast, Kyle Penner. We're going to talk about the pandemic. How should we deal with the polarization in our communities? Do Christians have a role to speak up politically? And how do we deal with the hate from people who claim to love Jesus? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Ryan. It is good to see you again. Good to be recording another session in what is, uh, I guess, pretty difficult times that we are experiencing as a country, socially and politically. I don't know how things are with you, but just to give our listeners a bit of a reminder, uh, I, of course, am in Winnipeg and Carrie is in Ottawa, Ontario, and Ryan is in Lethbridge, Alberta. If you don't know where Lethbridge is, it's what? how far are you from Calgary? Somewhere two, hours so, two hours south. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, we have we we've had about a year of working on this podcast and and to this point have we've avoided or I don't know if we've avoided, but we haven't really got into talking about the pandemic. And we know that we've been dealing with, you know, different issues in our communities. Um, but just kind of wanted to ask, how are things going? At, at the time of this recording, you know, the the uh that the freedom convoy in Ottawa is in full force. Uh, we don't know how it's going to be in a few weeks when this episode comes out. Um, but how are you guys both just handling, dealing with all this stuff right now? Well, perhaps ironically, we, uh, Carrie and I probably represent two parts of the country where it's most, uh, where this issue is most uh, alive and angry right now. Um, here in Southern Alberta, it's a, it's a pretty angry time right now. There's a lot of protests, a lot of, road blockades. Um, it's not a, it, polarization is, is alive and well in Southern Alberta, not so much in, 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 our, in our church necessarily, but certainly in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a, this is a time where, um, yeah, <laughs> it's on everybody's minds. It's the first topic of conversation wherever we are, wherever I go. Um, and, it, and it does tend to uh, provoke very strong opinions on both sides. What about you, Carrie? Yeah, I'm in Ottawa. I'm about five kilometers east of the Parliament buildings. Um, When there's not a lot of traffic on our street, we can hear the horns honking from downtown and the fireworks, and it's a never-ending, like, hum. Once you get near downtown, it's unbearable. It has been for five days now, I think, six. I I think a lot of us have lost count. Um, There's a lot of tension here, definitely tension, fear, anxiety, anxiety. People are not sure how it's going to end, if it will end. Um, and there's definitely a polarization between locals and then those who are part of the occupation. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a strange time. Um, we're surviving. We're not. We're trying to check in on our neighbors who are close to downtown. That's become an important part of the day. And um, yeah, just praying for a peaceful end, but not sure what that can look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, I think you both are probably in areas where this is a lot more heightened. I think in Winnipeg, maybe we're still going to see that. Um, And we're going to hear from Kyle, who's in southern Manitoba. But in Winnipeg, um, I think lots of people are just kind of, I don't know, or at least I'm seeing it, just shaking their heads and wanting to wish it away. (laughs) Or maybe not knowing how to deal with it and talk about it. but this is for sure 
a real live conversation within our communities and families and the relationships that we have. And I know it hasn't been easy over the whole pandemic. Um, just want to get a bit of a sense, like from your churches, uh, you know, how do you, how have you decided to have these difficult conversations or have you not, have you had to, you know, have <laughs> difficult sit downs with people in your churches and, um, or have you just decided as a congregation, you know, this is the way we want to deal with polarization in this time? Yeah, I think here at Ottawa Mennonite Church, we have found that most people are on the same page, like a huge majority of our congregation are on the same page when it comes to vaccines and mandates. But it's been surprising. Um, sometimes the folks who aren't, who you wouldn't expect. Um, and that has been difficult to know how to love and care for them when as a whole, the church is going in a certain direction. So I can't say that we've done it well, but I think there's always a, a large power in listening, like making sure someone feels heard. Um, Cause when people feel heard, but yet the majority, like everyone else is going in a different direction. I think that's at least something. I've really tried to encourage people to, um, to follow a practice that I first picked up in grad school when one of my theology professors told us our, our final exam was going to consist of, of, of answering three questions for one hour each in writing. Um, and there are going to be three statements that we could almost certainly, we'd be guaranteed to disagree with, uh, probably. But we had to start off our answer by saying what there was in, in the position that we disagreed with that could be affirmed. And I found that to be a valuable practice. And, and he also, our professor also insisted that we, that we describe the viewpoints that we disagree with in terms that would be acceptable to someone who held them. And those two disciplines I've tried to encourage in our church. So if you disagree with someone strongly about the vaccines or about their views about the convoy or whatever, that's fine and that's good and you should talk about it. But first, I want you to describe their position in a, in a way that they would agree with. Um, and it, it doesn't always work, but I think it's a good, it, it at least pushes pause on some of the really limiting and the limiting labels that people throw around. And it reminds us that we're underneath even the most odious views, there's a human being there who, um, who holds positions for reasons that aren't that dissimilar to the way we hold ours. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, and what you're describing, and I think we're going to talk a bit about this with Kyle here. Um, what you're describing, I find that that is so hard to do over things like social media. Yep. Um, you know, like <laughs> I, I have, uh, been looking at and following some people, including Kyle <laughs> and some recent, um, recent posts. And I see that what happens in the comments and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't know what to make of it. So I'm excited to talk to him about that a bit and, and how, um, yeah, what our role is uh, as Christians or as leaders uh, in times like these where we are trying to bring together people from opposite ends of the spectrums, we're trying to keep the peace, where we're trying to look out for the, the health and well-being and safety of, of, of people around us, all these things. How do we do that well? And, and can we use platforms like social media to do that? And, and, and what other role might we have in that? So um, let's get into that conversation. Let's invite Kyle in here. Uh, Kyle Penner is one of the pastors at Grace Mennonite Church in Steinbeck, Manitoba. Uh, I, I've known him for a number of years uh, and know him to be a real uh, 
just great guy um really fun and exciting and an avid what's the term canoeer canoeist <laughs> canoeist <laughs> an ultimate frisbeeist <laughs> Some of those things. Um, Kyle's also uh, an author, apart from being a pastor. He's, he's written a book about canoeing um, and also blogs regularly at kylepenner.home.blog. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation uh, about the pandemic, about polarization, about what our role as Christians is. It's great to have you. I am. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. That's good. <laughs> I hope for the most part that we uh, that I uh, represented you well. If there was something else that we should add to your bio, um, you can no, tell that's, me and we could. Re- <laughs> that that's good. That's good. I was more impressed with all of the wisdom coming from you three about how to deal with this. I was just going to listen and listen and learn from you actually, because you seem to have better answers than I do sometimes. <laughs> oh no, no, it, it's great to have you here, Kyle. Um, and and really just having a conversation with someone who seems to have been in the thick of it. And not only when it comes to church and family, but in the public sphere, um, which is something that I don't envy uh, (laughs) from your experience. But I think there's a lot that we can learn from it. So let me just start off by by telling you um, an experience I had yesterday. I was in your lovely town of Steinbach. I I popped in. (laughs) You should have called me, first of all. That's the first stab in my heart. (laughs) Well, the problem is I, I I had two visits to do. Um, and I was coming from class and I had to get back to Winnipeg and that like I, I barely made it back. So I was out of time anyway. But one thing I did do because I was I was visiting a few people and um, I wanted to bring something by. So I went to a local strip mall that had some stores, you know, um, uh, a bakery, uh, some food stores, that kind of thing. And I walked in and it was to a Winnipegger, a different world, mm. you know. I, I I saw one person out of all the employees and out of all the the uh, visitors uh, there wearing a mask, and at first it didn't hit me right. Like I walked in and I looked at the the person working there, and they looked at me almost as if to like, you know, like what are you doing here? Kind of, and and I it didn't I didn't even think about that until I looked at everybody else who was there, and no one was wearing a mask. And then I I turn around and look at the at the door. Uh, to this place and it says you know we support our truckers and then i'm like oh okay i stepped into a very different world here um and maybe that was just at that strip mall in steinbach but can you just explain for us for for those of us who don't know what southern manitoba is like what steinbach is like what is the context that you've been living in uh during this pandemic how would you describe the mentality the community of a place like steinbach (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's easy enough, right? So Southern Manitoba is broad, right? So you go you go from Steinbach to Winkler and everything in between. You have a mishmash of um, historically ethnic immigrant groups that have all settled here, generally um, building towns on our own and not intermingling. So you have Mennonite towns, you have Ukrainian towns, you have French towns, and each one of those. Um, adds different flavor to it. So what you have in one town will not be what you have in the next town eight kilometers down the road. And that was pre-COVID as well, but especially now. Mm. Um, So I will speak from Steinbach, because that that is my place. And my family's been here since the beginning of Steinbach in the 1870s, they came over. Um, So we're 20,000 people Uh, for the first six to 10 months of the pandemic. We were... 
uh, very unified, actually. We all stayed home and we all did what we were supposed to do. And then we all had a great summer that first time. And then what happened was we all thought in Manitoba, since that first wave kind of missed us, we all thought we were invincible. And then uh, in fall of 2020, um, Winnipeg had lots of COVID. So we thought we were good down here, not realizing quite how this virus pandemics work. And then all of a sudden, boom, our cases blew up and our hospitals were overflowing with people. And whole coffee groups, 40% of a coffee group died. Golf foursomes, half of them died. Condo buildings, 10 deaths in one condo in a week. Um, it was wild. My friend's an ER nurse, and he said that he intubated more people in the one shift than he had his entire life. Wow. And so the calls were at that point to stay home. Um, everyone did. The doctors wrote a public letter. Everybody stay home. Um, all the churches wrote letters together. We signed a joint statement saying, stay home, follow the public health orders. We're in deep trouble here. So that was generally really, really successful. Um, we were actually one of the first communities in Canada to have a test positivity percent of 40%. At the time, we thought five was five was indicating uncontrolled spread. We had 40 Unfortunately, at the time, there was a little, um, there was some rotating uh, protests that would take turns uh, driving around Manitoba to protest anti-mask and anti-public health orders and anti-future vaccines, as we now discover. And they had picked, um, it was Steinbach's turn that weekend by fluke, the weekend that we were, our hospital was overflowing with people. And that was really tough. So they held their rally. And the police kind of like took down license plates and gave tickets and stuff like that. And I looked around, there was a hundred of them and 20,000 of us were all watching this gong show happen. And, um, and I say gong show, I understand that could be mean, but it was pretty like out there rhetoric. It wasn't, it was not this nuanced discussion or as Ryan said, trying to understand the perspective that was not your own. It was, it was out there. And, um, so what my church did was we ended up actually staying home. We kind of joked that we could have organized a counter protest and, and outnumbered them 10 to one in five minutes worth of time. I texted one of my friends who's like a diehard conservative member, a political member. And I was like, you get the conservatives, I'll get the liberals and we'll show up to support <laughs> and we'll support the doctors and the nurses who are saving our lives. But we were told to stay home. So what my church did instead was we actually all lit candles in our front windows as a sign um, so that everybody could know that we, all the healthcare workers and the people who had COVID in their families. And um, that spread. There was hundreds and thousands of candles all around town. And it was, it was kind of cool to see that as we all stayed home. Um, yeah, and then fast forward a couple months and we, we crushed the curve. We crushed it. We went from hundreds of cases down to zero. We had zero for months. Like we, we followed, we, we, we flattened that curve. Like it was remarkable. <laughs> And either that or we all got it, one of the two. Um, And so, uh, but what was interesting then as time went on though, um, when the vaccine rollout happened, started happening. So that happened, started in December, the first ones came and then it was gradually as we were, as the age went down and more and more people were getting vaccinated. You started, you started to notice a bit of a divide um, of people who were very excited to get their vaccines and those who wanted to end the pandemic that way. And those who said never. Um, And early on, um, as I was ponder watching um, the province roll out their vaccines, some of us really quickly, some of us knew all along and some of us found out very quickly that vaccinating Southern Manitoba is not going to be easy. 
and and histor- we have historically low vaccination rates. We have um, significant um, groups of newcomers to Canada that come from very hostile governments, and they don't vaccinate their children for anything. And um, and so early on, then I was I ended up being on Twitter just posting some random thoughts on how to vaccinate Southern Manitoba. Um, basically saying, like, you can't do this from a commercial. You can't do this from a billboard. You can't do this um, from some politicians. You need to find the local people whom we trust. And you got to get them to say, I got vaccinated and you all should too. Find your local leaders and go. And that then, that along with then our vaccine lead here in Manitoba, her name is Dr. Joss Reimer. She also named publicly that Mennonites were going to be the problem. Um, let me rephrase that. No, <laughs> Mennonites were going to be, have a low vaccine um, uptake rate. And so then because I'm on social media, because I'm in Southern Health, because of my job title, because of my last name, um, I ended up fielding lots of requests about wondering why Mennonites were vaccine hesitant. And um, yeah, and so then I made lots of friends that way and lots of news articles explaining this because we know the difference between Mennonites, those of us who are Mennonite, but the rest of the world just as a Mennonite, as a Mennonite, as a Mennonite. And even though we're like, no, 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 those are the MBs. They're like three blocks away from us, but we're very, very different. Uh, the rest of the world doesn't know or care about that. And uh, so, yeah, so it was quite a, quite a journey to try to help explain this. And then I ended up helping out advising the province on vaccine uptake in Southern Manitoba and how public health restrictions affect churches in Southern Manitoba, because some people from Winnipeg who don't go to church or don't know Mennonites didn't really know. Um, and that was kind of fun in a good way. So I got to do some pretty cool, meet some cool people and do some cool advocacy. Um, and as part of my own campaign, my own suggestion, they said, well, we're going to get local people on to, to do local work. And so do you want to be on a commercial? And I'm like, yes, I want to go on TV. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to go on TV advocating life-saving vaccines? And so they, they rolled, they, they did a print ad. Um, it was part of a, Manitoba had a, 15 different local leaders from sports to entertainment to restaurants to businesses. And the, the idea behind the campaign was um, if, you, if, you wanted, if you miss these seats, restaurants, Jets games, theaters, cultural events, if you miss these seats, we need you to take a seat here in the vaccine clinic. And it was like the head coach of the Blue Bombers. They had people who, the company that runs the Jets, they had, it was just great. So I like, oh, they're and like, oh, you. let's, and me, because I'm a Mennonite <laughs> pastor from Steinbeck with the last name Penner. And it's true. You want to get, like, I'm local, right? I'm here. Yeah. And I did that and they rolled, they rolled the, the newspaper ads and I got some feedback saying like some negative feedback. And I'm like, are you saying that? We need to get the vaccine to be Christian or to go to church. I'm like, no, I'm saying churches are closed right now. Get vaccinated. If we all get vaccinated, we can all come back to church. And then they rolled out um, TV ads. Like I was on during the NHL playoffs. Yeah. (laughs) And I got no response there. And then they rolled me out on Facebook. Hmm. And then, then, then the deluge (laughs) of angry messages and angry emails and angry phone calls started very what? quickly oh go ahead Kyle before before we get into that stuff I'm just curious when you like when you're making these decisions right like you're you're clearly the pastor of this church in these ads do you do you just say yeah this is what I have to do or do you have to like take it to your council talk about it as a church and before you can decide to be part of something like that 
Great. That's a great question. Grace Mennonite is a very unique church. Um, that's very trusting. Through all, throughout all of this, we have, we have five doctors in my church. We have three of, two of the leads of the local vaccine clinic come here. Um, we have ER nurses. We, um, we have not been nearly as divided over the questions of vaccination as other congregations have. Um, our vaccination rate is um, much higher than the provincial average even. Um, considering our town is way lower, that's actually kind of remarkable. And so once the ball got rolling, um, it's kind of hard to stop it. And throughout all of this, I did communicate to council and they said, yep, keep going. It's okay. It's okay. Because they saw the merits in it. And they also just wanted to get back to church and vaccines save lives. There's a little piece of it where it's kind of like, well, if Kyle doesn't talk, the media is going to find somebody else. Mm. And we'd much rather have Kyle talk up there and saying vaccines save lives as opposed to somebody who's saying vaccines are experimental because we don't know what's in them like sausages and um, so, yeah, so that's been a little bit of a high trust um, with my church and I'm grateful for that trust. And I hope I've, I hope I've, I've hope, I hope I've spoken well for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's get to the dirt. So, well, the dirt, <laughs> well, that was June, right? So first of all, just back up. Like I never, I was quite naive. I thought like we had already been through three different shutdowns in Manitoba yeah. where churches were closed and here's this life state. And this was at the time we were talking about Alpha variant, right? Not even Delta, not even Omicron. This was Alpha variant. And I thought like, here's this thing that lets us get back together and do everything that we missed. I now never once thought that there would be so many people who did not want to get vaccinated. I just, it was mind boggling to me that we'd shut down everything three times, wait for a vaccine. And then when it was here, no, I'm not taking it. That's, I've, I, I understand it now, but at the time I was like, what is going on? Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and so what happened then was what on Facebook, my ad, um, the algorithms for Facebook are really good. So I'm assuming the province is also, can also target the ads. So I'm assuming the province targeted uh, Mennonites in Southern Health who have posted words, the vaccine before. <laughs> <laughs> probably though, they were probably words like I'm not getting the vaccine. Yeah. And so between the province targeting those folk and between the Facebook algorithms, knowing that, that anger is what drives their clicks and drives their engagement and gets people riled up and back onto Facebook, um, my, uh, my vaccine ad got sent to probably the people who were the least likely to get vaccinated. Um, and I don't regret any of it, but they responded, I would say, poorly. Um, and was it a lot ahead, of, oh, what is it, like, was it a lot of strangers or was it like a lot of people that you actually know, like, I don't know, the grocery store clerk or the local teacher? 100% strangers. Okay. Mm. Which is interesting because because one of them I finally said like look listen the pope is pro vaccine. Do you call all the churches that are pro vaccine and get mad at them? Call have you called the catholic church in town? And then he's like, "Oh, that's a good idea." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, Jason. <laughs> You're going to get a phone call it seems like." <laughs> so, I understand now. So it was Ju- it was June at the time and they were very um, upset because they saw the writing on the wall that Canada was going to be very pro-vaccine and, and then they were very afraid that we would be flexing vax cards for churches um, which in June I said we weren't and then in November we did here um, they were uh, just hated the government in general um, and won't, so then uh, they viewed me as colluding with the government 
There was a vicious rumor going around that I had received $20,000 to be in a vaccine commercial. Really? And I, like, I don't have a receipt saying I didn't get paid $20,000. I... I got paid a $50 gas car coupon to drive to Winnipeg for the commercial, <laughs> which is funny because I drive in an electric car. So um, thanks for the gas coupon, the province. And uh, yeah, yeah. so, um, but that was just a vicious lie that got spread around. So I, I was called Judas Iscariot for taking the money. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of people just were mad and they called me and, and I was called the devil. I was called Satan. I was told I was going to hell, which has happened before. But usually some people like want to save me from hell. So at least <laughs> it's a good, I, I can understand that. Uh, one person said, I hope God sends you to hell. And I'm like, that is a theology that's really messed up, man. Like at least try to save me from hell. Don't like try to send me there. <laughs> um... Wait, hold on. So all these people who are commenting at you, um, do you know were were they Christian or do they? They all identified as Christian because they really? they they assumed I had this common language because they were referring to Christian concepts. That yeah, mm. I would assume that they were that they were Christian. That's a fair assumption to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I ended up having to like lock my Twitter profile down. I changed my name and my picture on Facebook. So people could, people could stop finding me. I found out that they were actually like screenshotting my Facebook ad and whipping it around anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-COVID um, restrictions Facebook groups and like doxing my church. So thankfully, my phone number and my and my personal email address aren't on my church website. So my poor admin had to filter through all of these emails and say, do you want to read these? And I was like, I don't know. Do I? The amount of people who sent hate mail from work accounts was amazing to me. It's like, guys, I can forward this back to your employer and you're, well, you might be in trouble. You might not be. I guess it depends on your employer. Um, but it was, it was relentless. Um, some of them, and and all of them at first I started, like when the first little trickle started coming from those newspaper ads, I tried engaging well and I tried thinking, okay, like you're, you seem, some of them seemed decent. And I was like, so I'll I'll talk to you. And no, they were convinced that these vaccines were killing people and thus their anger and their justification, them getting mad at me because I was enabling murder and they viewed themselves as stopping a genocide. So they were quite like frantic about like 90% of Canada is going to die and it's your, you're helping this Kyle. And I'm like, what is going on in all the times that I had nice conversations with people? Um, not one of them ended in anything remotely good. And I have enough friends who are newspaper or, um, media in the media. And I have enough friends who have done local politics and they've said, Kyle, you really can't engage with the trolls. Um, it's not a helpful word because they are people worthy of love. But they said they have all the time in the day to bug you. They're, they're the ones calling a stranger and getting mad. And you're not going to win. Cause, and so you really just need to ignore them. And it, that doesn't help build society because part of their animosity is they already feel left out and marginalized. And then when all of us just continue to ignore them, then that gets angrier. But I don't know what else to do didn't know what else to do. So the good news though, is that I have a couple of, um, I wrote a little blog post about this experience. And then because I'd met some media folk earlier in my, when Steinbach was 40%. And also when I was like, Hey, this is how you vaccinate Mennonites. Um, I have lots of local media in Manitoba following me on my Twitter. So I did a little blog post about like, Hey, this is what happened. And this is why I think they they're so mad. And then all the media called me and said, we want to hear about this. Like local pastor gets, you know, 
anti-vax hate mail and has to basically hide on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then I was inundated with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of positive messages. I made the front mm-hmm. page of the Winnipeg Free Press and CBC, and I did countless TV interviews. And and the positive messages were just overwhelmingly just amazing to, to hear. But then in fall, what happens? So now Delta's here in fall, right? And southern Manitoba has a low vax rate. So Manitoba as a whole has like, what, 80, 85% of us are double-dosed now. At the t- Steinbach at 66, sort of below average. Hanover, which is the area around us, is like 55. The French towns are 85, which tells you something. Mm-hmm. Um, literally kilometers apart. And there's like a 40% difference in vaccination rates. Uh, Winkler is less than 50. Um, Altona is 55. And so then our hospitals are, but we share our hospitals in Manitoba. So all the COVID patients get sent to Winnipeg. So then there's this like, building frustration within the province that like southern health is the reason we're still stuck in this full hospitals because you people are not getting vaccinated and so then actually some of my roles switched from like let's get vaccinated to maybe yelling at people calling them selfish ignorant buffoons is not the best way to get them vaccinated Hmm. that's not profound um but it's amazing how many people thought that just being angry at, at Mennonites in southern Manitoba, that's going to that's gonna help our hospital situations. And I was like, no, you actually, actually part of my job in the fall was to help everybody else deal with their anger and their frustration. And how do you like talk to people who disagree with you? And so I was actually borrowing some of Catherine Hayhoe's work. She talks about this when talking to people about climate change. And how do you talk to people who disagree with you? And you've got to find common values and bond over those you can't set these conversations up like ultimatums, like you can't threaten the relationship because you need to say, actually, I will, I will still love you the same and we are on the same team. We both want happy, healthy humans and happy, healthy, thriving communities. We just want to get, we just disagree on how to get there, but we're actually working towards the same thing. And once you actually make people on the same page as you, then you can actually have those conversations. Um, so part of that was just a reminder to do those things. And then, and then the Globe and Mail called and then that was a really interesting one so they sent a reporter to do lots of interviews in southern manitoba and at that time i had just preached a sermon um on peace sun or it was about vax cards and not vax cards and how do we do that at churches um do we all stay home do we just say sorry you you have to watch online how do we how do we accompany immunocompromised and vulnerable people at the times the kids weren't vaccinated yet right and we didn't know what delta was doing to kids and um, so what I did all fall was I met with my spiritual director and I came up with a bit of a plan and I woke up in the mornings and I would do centering prayer and which is sitting in silence for five minutes with my, with my, with my sacred word of intention. And then I would do the um, prayer of St. Francis. Oh, um, how does it even go? The peace prayer. <laughs> help me, help. Lord, make me yeah, an instrument yeah, right? of your peace. Help, me not, help me to love and not be loved, right? Like help me to understand mm-hmm. as most of you understood. Yeah. And then honestly, mm-hmm. my, my spiritual discipline for like all the fall was just praying for people who pissed me off. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that was from people who weren't vaccinated because I was like, you guys are clogging our hospitals up. Like I can name, I'm frustrated. And some of that though was people in my church who were like, we don't want to come to church with you because you're not vaccinated. It's like, come on, we got a big sanctuary. And you're like 25 feet away and you got masks on, like <laughs> get over yourself. Right. And <laughs> And so I, I would literally just go through my day and say, who's making me angry these days? And I would pray for them. But my prayers were not that, that 
God would change their minds because there's an awful lot of people uh, were praying that I would change my mind about the vaccinations and that did not work whatsoever. Um, surprise, surprise. My, my prayer was just that God would bless them. Hmm. And my prayer would be help me to love them and see them as beloved children. And then, Kyle, like through that practice, do you feel like it changed your your view on these people? Like, did it slowly move you into like a space of more understanding? Yeah, I would entirely. Which is maybe what the beautiful part of prayer is: is that it changes us if we actually let it, right? But you got to let go of your high horse because I'm team vaccine, but you're not my enemy. Mm. I'm right. I know they think they're right too, but you got. But I'm not your enemy. <laughs> And, and if the goal then doesn't become that I'm going to try to change your mind, the goal becomes I'm going to love you. Um, I don't know how that rolls now with trucker protests honking their horns outside your, outside your town there, Carrie. I don't know how that works now with, with like Nazi symbols and F. Trudeau signs. And I'm challenging myself, actually, because what happened this last week gave me, um, or the, the death threats, you know, like, People openly with signs saying Trudeau should be shot. Like, it's challenging my own. Sure, I can pray for them, but I don't know at what point do we, how do we, how do we love those who are espousing violence against others? And so now I'm, that's just this week. I'll maybe, I'll, maybe I'll have a better answer in a month. But I do know that if I actually, I haven't been praying much the last couple of weeks, guilty here. But if I wake up and it's like, well, I don't want to pray for them. I'm mad at them. Well, maybe it's my job to pray for them and say, God bless them. Even if they're blocking a border, <laughs> even if they're honking their horns. Now I'm from a distance. I don't have that outside my door here, right? And I'm not marginalized, and I'm not I'm not Jewish, and I'm not a person of color. I get all that privilege, right? Um, so maybe then actually it's doubly important for me to do it because other people might not be able to do it because they're so mad and they're so close to it. And so then my job then becomes maybe I can do this from a distance because I'm able to. We want to take a quick moment to pause from our discussion to give away another great resource thanks to Common Word and Herald Press. Today, for this episode, we're giving away a copy of Melissa Flora Bixler's new book entitled How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger and the Work of Peace. We think this would fit together quite well with the discussion we're having today. This book was published by Herald Press in 2011, and we want to give them a special thanks, along with Common Word, for co-sponsoring this giveaway. I want to give you one more quick insight into Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center. Of course, they have an amazing website where you can get tons of free resources. They also have the physical store in Winnipeg on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University. But the best way to keep up to date with new and upcoming resources is to subscribe to the Curator Newsletter. If you do that, you will receive bi-weekly emails of promotional sales and featured resources. All you have to do is go to commonword.ca, scroll to the bottom, and subscribe. Now, if you would like to win a free copy of Melissa Flora Bixler's book, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, at The Menocast and like our page. If you do that, you will be automatically entered to win a copy of this book. Unfortunately, it's only open to Canadian residents, but we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram regardless. Let's get back to the conversation. Like, it is hard to love right now, you know, when you see these symbols of racism and supremacy and 
locally, there's just been a lot of stories of people being attacked who are wearing masks. They're getting ripped off their faces if you're downtown, followed to their cars, lots of racial slurs. Mm. And so God's love has no limit. But then sometimes our humanity feels like, how do I love the person, you know, who has been attacked and how do I then love the attacker? Like it's, yeah, where there is no limit to love, but sometimes it feels like there is. And so how do we move past that into this endless love? It's a challenge. It's, it's actually quite interesting. So I think back to the person who wanted me to go to hell. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's not that dissimilar from the complete jerkwad who's ripping off masks and people who stole food from a homeless shelter. Like, yeah, you guys can all go to hell. That's my gut instinct. But that's the exact same instinct that, that they gave to me because I'm on the government side getting paid for supporting vaccines. So I don't have great answers. And I've been accused of being too, living too much of a privileged life. And I get that too. Um, I can control what I can control. I can wake up and pray for them. One of the conversations we're having here in, in our church and in our community is um, what does it mean to love our neighbors uh, two years into this thing? Um, early on, the message was get vaccinated. Love, this is the way we love our neighbors. Yep, that was my message too. Um, and, and now we are starting to see some of the fallout of two years of restrictions on people's mental health. Um, we, we sponsored five Syrian families five years ago. Um, Incidentally, I had a similar experience to yours when we did that uh, with, the, with the hatred and the, and the really awful response from people in our community. But um, now some of, these, some of these kids are falling badly behind in school mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're, they're struggling socially and their parents are working low-paying jobs and they aren't home much and, and they've never really had the option to stay home and be safe and work on their laptops and these kinds of things, right? And so... One, we, we just had a, I just did a sermon a few weeks ago on, on, on some of these matters, and, and it led to a lively conversation about um, how, are we only focusing on one kind of neighbor and one expression of love right now? What would it mean to love people who are falling through the cracks um, because of some of the, the restrictions that, that some feel have gone on too long now? And, and people are, I can think of half a dozen people in my church who are desperately, desperately lonely and haven't eaten with another human being in two years um, there's 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 neighbors i think we're starting to ask hard questions about the neighbors that we're called to love and and and, and what do we do when when there's risks attached to each different expression of, of of love and how do we prioritize risks especially two years into this when we have you know 80 percent vaccination or whatever it is here um is the conversation shifting or, or should it I'm, I'm curious to hear what you, what you say to that the conversation is shifting dramatically um, and I'm going to generally put this into three categories. So there's Facebook world and there's Twitter world, and then there's real life <laughs> and Facebook world wants the restrictions gone. Twitter world would be more okay with restrictions lasting longer. And then real life world in my real life down here amongst my friends and my church who are triple vaxxed and followed all the rules there is a collective letting go of safety as our primary response. And we were not wrong to emphasize that for the first several years. Um, it, you run and you, you tread softly because parents and kids under five can't be vaxxed yet. 
you tread softly because immunocompromised folk will bear a higher burden of responsibility and risk. Um, so I don't say that lightly. Um, but I, my sense is that um, as people are saying, well, if double and triple vaxxed is the end game and, and vaccinations have dried to a puddle, a little couple drops a day, there is very little else we can do. And if loving each other for the first part of the pandemic was stay apart, and then loving each other was get vaccinated. At this point now, what does loving each other look like? And there will be some, there will have, there is going, there is in our real life. My church, we rented the pool here. We're going swimming, like 40, fan, 40 people are going swimming this weekend um, because we've all, vac- we're all vaxxed to the max. And it's like, well, we have to start taking risks to be with each other again. And I, there are some people who are not ready for those risks yet, and we're giving them that space too. Um, yeah, but I think all of the nuance needed for those conversations happen best in relation, real life relationships. Yeah. And they don't happen well. They don't happen well on social media. Mm, I think yeah. social media rewards um, the extreme positions by giving them air um, airtime. And I think most of us are somewhere in the middle. Or making a sacrifice, or or choosing levels of risk as we see our families and friends. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's kind of. So we at church now, we've we've at our church, we've generally said we're following the guidelines, not more, not less. And because we're so vaccinated now, now we're starting to say, okay, we've kept each other safe by not seeing each other very much, doing all these things. And now, how do we get back to how do we how do we love each other in ways, um, knowing that that there isn't going to be nothing that's zero risk. And I like where that is, but I do understand that for people who are immunocompromised and for parents of little kids, that's a, that, that, that's harder for them. There is going to yeah. be a higher burden for them. Now, Moses, your story of visiting a, a store in Steinbeck, um, it, it brought to mind uh, something I think we're probably all familiar with, and that's the problem that a public life and especially on life becomes one one giant kind of sorting exercise where we... We are, we are putting people in categories based on visual symbols, um, what we see or don't see. We're, we're, we're assuming things because of absence and uh, of, of certain symbols. And I mean, even now, driving down the highway in Alberta, I see a truck, a big rig, and I make an assumption about, who's, about the political leanings yeah. of who's driving that thing. And that's not right, and I don't like that. I don't like, the, I don't like the, that, that our public discourse becomes one enormous moral sorting exercise to separate the good people from the bad people. And I'm wondering, like... I, I got off Facebook a couple of years ago and I was never on Twitter and I know it's way worse there, but how do we un- unwind some of this? Uh, how do we unwind some, some of these tendencies that we, I, I can feel growing in myself and I see in, in people to treat all of public life as, as kind of a, a sorting game? I don't know if that makes sense or not. I hope, no, I hope it, I it the does. Well. And my, my answer would be that we have to actually form authentic relationships with people in real life, which we've been conditioned to not do for two years. Some something out there claims that you can't hold judgment and curiosity at the same time, right? That's like something they teach in mm. peace and conflict. That your brain just can't do both. And so I try to lean into curiosity as difficult as it is. Because um, the judgment is easy these days and it happens amongst the sorting that Ryan's talking about. So so Moses, I know the bakery now. It took me a while to figure out which story we were talking about. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> well, I don't go to that bakery, right? Like, okay. But... So they they were passing around all sorts of 
of paraphernalia in the spring about how these vaccines are the great killing of people. Mm. But then when you actually scratch, when you scratch the surface, you find out that they are um, part of the Ausiedler immigrant group that has populated southern Manitoba. And for your listeners who don't know, I might get an email about this wrong from some Mennonite historian. Um, But in some ways, all the progressive waves of Mennonites to Canada and the USA over the last 150 years, some people never made it. And they lived in Russia um, for decades under communist Russia and more recently under Vladimir Putin. But they kept, but they were never Russian because they spoke German. And then they, Germany retook them begrudgingly because they were German still. So Germany repatriated them for the last 25 years. And then they, once they get repatriated to Germany, the Germans don't want them because they're Russians. And they moved to Southern Manitoba. And they are quite very insular looking, um, which Mennonites are familiar with. And run their own churches, do, do their own thing. In my high school, we had a bench. We called it the German bench. Because um, that's, I always say, if you took 2,000 Canadians and moved us to Angola, we'd all become friends pretty quick too, right? Mm-hmm. And when you see that actually these folk have lived through hard times and 70 years of no government wanting them and no local community embracing them. And then when somebody shows up and says, get vaccinated, they're like, hell no. And then you, they show up and say, well, you need a vax card to go to a hockey game or worse to go to church. Hmm. Be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. We know it's Ted Lasso. It's also Walt Whitman. Um, well, well, maybe Walt would have been first, fine. Um, but you're right, Carrie. I get it. And then for, for, then for reporters to show up and, you know, say, oh, you're all a bunch of ignorant buffoons. Well, no, they're really not. They're just operating under a different story than ours. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I have to admit that going into that store, you know, it took me a few minutes to realize where I was and what was happening. And then the first thought came that came to me was, should I leave? Should I like I had I had baked goods in my hand. Should I buy it? What does that say about me? If I buy it, am I supporting this? And that whole thing that you're talking about, Ryan, you know, like that, you know, just putting people into these categories and boxes and and judging like that was my first instinct. Um, I stuck that it bakery? out. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, that bakery delivers bread to our church's soup kitchen every week. Wow. Mm. Wow. Mm. <laughs> but we're handing out like we're handing out anti-vaccine you're all gonna die paraphernalia in yeah. april yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so but this is this is exactly the kind of complexity that i think people need to hear yeah. um because it sort of resists these inflexible categories that we put people into um so yeah thanks for this is good i like this which is maybe which comes back to my when you wake up and pray for people Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can't hate them, yeah. and you can be more curious and judgmental, and you can soften your own heart towards them. Yeah, I like what you said, Carrie. About um, you can't be curious and judgmental. Uh, last weekend, I was in a, in a in a church preaching in a church that had had left our conference, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. And there's all kinds of potential for explosive issues to come up. And I didn't do it perfectly, but I tried to just ask a lot of questions and and just to be open to hearing about people's experiences that were very different than mine. And it was it was actually really interesting, and it was actually really good. And so, 
it's easy to be judgmental. I mean, our media context trains us to do this in thousands of ways every day, um, to be reactive and to be judgmental. And curiosity is way more interesting and way more life-giving. She says it well about climate change dialogue. She says, we assume that when somebody doesn't agree with us or see the world. Yeah, that one. <laughs> okay. Saving Us by Catherine Ahill, a great book. But she does the one line right at the beginning. She said, I will paraphrase her. She says, when we meet somebody who sees the world differently than us, we assume that they're operating out of, no- they have no morals. Mm-hmm. And she says, it's not true. They're just different morals. Yeah. And once you understand that they're still operating out of a place of morality, it changes it. So for example, I know someone down in Southern Manitoba, their kid died recently. And like 350 people showed up for the funeral. Mm. And that was in clear, no vax card checking, no masks. These people were not vaccinated. This is, this is on the other side of the river, of the Red River, not my side. So I'm, and those 350 people were absolutely a, a super spreader risk in an Omicron era. Absolutely. And in some ways that's inexcusable. But in other ways, they would say showing up for this death of a three-year-old, if we didn't show up, that's inexcusable. Mm-hmm. so yeah. <laughs> kyle you know i i think this is all good i ha- i have a there's a couple things that i still wanted to yeah. ask one of them being like we're talking about how hard it is to have these conversations online or through social media and i know so many people who talk as if social media relationships are real relationships so you know what how do we how do we wade our way through this and like what is your intent when you're doing stuff on social media? Oh, <laughs> in, in like question. a quick minute or less. <laughs> go on it for a few months until I need a break and then take a break and then uh, go back on. I think that the ability to connect and to learn and to hear different voices that are not dominant is a gift. Um, I think the risk is that everything we do is performative and sorting. And once you understand that, that gives you a little bit of a helpful perspective. I think also part of it is I, I'm, I've watched the social media. I've read those books. I understand what they're doing to all of us. And then I kind of, I'm a little aware, I hope. Um, and I don't think ever, and I don't think everyone is on, on either side, on any site. Um, yeah. But in some ways though, I've heard it said the risk of it. So the downside is performative and the other side is it's performative. And so I, wrote a post saying, you know, this weekend, Nazi flags aren't okay, people. Shouldn't be a big deal. And some people said, I'm glad you said something because our we don't see any other church leaders saying anything and we'd really like them to. And so it doesn't mean they're not saying anything. And so it's performative, but it's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. And so there's a little place for that. Um, yeah. Or maybe we're all just addicted, addicted to dopamine. And we all want the <laughs> dopamine hits from our likes and our shares. And... Okay, so one one more question for me. Um, you know, like I think when you're getting calls from CBC, Global Mail, you know, they know you're a pastor, but somehow I doubt that they're asking for a theological reflection from you, um, or or maybe they are. No, but... they've I've I've been edited edited out quite a bit. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> when I was on national radio with Carol off, I was quoting Richard Rohr all the time, and they edited that out so fast, so. Global Mail oh, was the one funny. that Global Mail did the least amount of it, but it, they, okay. they they ran the most theological lens possible. So yeah, yeah go yeah. ahead. Though. Okay, cool. Well, now this is your chance for an unfiltered. Uh. <laughs> Moses promised not to edit. 
<laughs> yeah, I promise not to edit this. No, I, I'm curious, right? Like when people see you in the public sphere as as an Anabaptist, as a Mennonite, I, I think many people who are unfamiliar with the Mennonite church will think of the quiet in the land or are now seeing, you know, the people at these rallies. Um, but so but what are you what you are doing publicly and being involved in, you know, the Manitoba campaign and articles and new you know interviews, all of that, is that coming from just Kyle Penner, Steinbeck guy, or is this Pastor Kyle? And is there a theological reasoning behind it? And what is that? Like, what is Lots what of framework? Yeah. So first of all, you are right. Like, so this weekend in Ottawa, Henry Hildebrandt, whatever his name is, the Mennonite pastor was giving the blessing to the convoy, right? Mm. So then there's a place to me to show up and say, actually, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying he's not Mennonite, but we're not all like that. So that's a little defensive. I get that. Um, there is a place where you get to do some pretty cool theology publicly, right? Like to say, like I've said to a lot of places, like we're not enemies, we're neighbors. We're not enemies, we're neighbors. That is a profoundly pacifist Jesus love ethic understanding of everything. Um, so I get to I get to do theology in sound bites, um, which is kind of a challenge, but I think a fun one. I think that there's this idea. Ooh. Now you're making me like do some self-reflection on my own ego. So <laughs> thanks. I, I, I think that I find the message of Jesus and belonging to an Anabaptist community um, beautiful, life-saving, um, transforming. And I understand as Canada and as we all move to a post-Christian world of a secular world, of Christendom's dead, I understand all that baggage I also understand that there's, there's this massive reaction against evangelical Christianity amongst um, many people, um, primarily coming from the USA. And I'll just didn't start with Trump, but well, that's the that's the the image we all have. The Christians are these angry people who are against everything and say they're loving but aren't. And and I I like to kind of like counter that notion and say actually we're not all like that. I think there's something good and beautiful here, and I can and yeah. The moment there's a World War III and a draft, uh, it's the moment that I'm going to be the outside, the outlier, and I know that as well. Uh, but right now, it's a different. Right now, that's that, that's not my story. Right now, I would say the challenge for us all in churches actually is as we, assuming there's no, with Omicron, assuming there's no more Opacron or whatever, <laughs> whatever's next. The challenge is going to be how do we heal? Yeah. Yep. And and actually, I was just talking to somebody this week and saying, you know. There's going to be have to be a lot of forgiving by everybody. Mm -hmm. And so given our current rules in Manitoba and our own current dynamics, like we've been checking vax cards at churches and some people we've said you can't come since October. And they're going to have to forgive us and we are going to have to forgive them. Um, and that's going to be hard because we're all going to have to get off our high horses. Um, mm -hmm. But if we actually want to experience healing and, and restoration of relationships... Um, we should probably check our pride and seek the, their welfare. And they're going to have to name some truths in here, things that what you did would hurt me, or you didn't get vaccinated, you you hurt the system, I, my cancer surgery is delayed. We have those stories too. We have someone waiting for a new kidney and they can't because the ICU is full of people who are not vaccinated. There's going to be lots of truth-telling that's going to have to happen and lots of forgiving. How do we prepare our congregations 
for maybe what we might call the great forgiveness, like that, that is quickly coming towards us, I think. How do we get ready? Yeah, how do we get ready for that? First, just trademark the great forgiveness. Yeah, that's and if I could get the funds right. from that, that would be really great. Carrie yeah. gets it. Carrie gets it. Yes. Carrie, I think actually showing up publicly and asking that question is a good start. Mm. Okay. To tell people it's coming. Yeah. And if you if you think that people who disagree with you are stupid, they think you're stupid. <laughs> how do we forgive just ask that question it's coming you're gonna have to figure this out people yeah plant those seeds i think that's a piece of it yeah i think it's going to be a a time where we're going to have to acknowledge maybe revisit some of our most basic uh basic christian anthropological assumptions that we are that we are all self-interested that we are that, that what we can know is finite and especially in a fluid situation where the science is changing and 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 um we don't we don't know as much as we'd like to at any moment. So this, this could be a great opportunity for us to, I, I 100% agree there's going to be a time where it's going to require some healing and some honesty. And, and this has given us a good reminder of who we are and what we can and can't do or expect from each other, um, in, in some ways at least. And maybe at our, at our best, we could be grateful for that because it's, it's, it's a reminder of our creatureliness and our, and our dependence upon God and each other at our best. It's good, Ryan. Got us all thinking. <laughs> This is what Ryan does. This is, this is true. This is why I'm sad Ryan left Facebook because I read his post and he always challenged me. <laughs> He's still blogging. I do. I, I I have to admit that I that I I haven't missed it much, but there are moments where I do miss it, and I do understand the rationale for it being a public space. And it's a, I don't I don't have any judgment for anybody that stays on there because there's good things that happen there too. But I don't miss it that much. <laughs> Kyle, last question here. I think this this is this is awesome. Um, last question. Will you finally show the receipt for the $20,000? <laughs> Where is the car? You know what, Moses? One, one other one person was pestering me. And finally, I said, that is a lie. You're another pastor from a different church. And I said, that is a lie. And then they didn't respond to me. And I said, why aren't you responding to me? I accuse you of lying. And then they said, I'm busy writing a sermon. And then I said, I hope you're writing a sermon about lying. And how li- <laughs> Revelation 21.8 says, liars go to the lake of fire. <laughs> so I have my moments of, um, that person took a long time to get prayed for uh, on my yeah, list. Yeah. Because uh, the propensity to spread lies by other people is remarkable to me. So, uh, yeah. So what, what, what I'm hearing is that it was only 15 grand, not 20. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It got tacked, so it was less. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, man. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us and talking about your story and your experience and giving us some yeah, insight into how to love each other and, and what uh, what's coming ahead. I, I think we have to do a lot of work at this. And um, yeah, just really appreciate that. Thank you for your thanks for coming and sharing your stories and your wisdom and asking good questions. And I feel like we could probably talk for two to three to four hours, my friends. Yeah. So um, yeah. thank you yeah. for having me. And to all the listeners out there, thanks for um, listening. And hopefully we can start sowing some seeds of forgiveness and healing as we try to keep muddling through this pandemic. Well said, Kyle. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was so good to see Kyle and to talk to him. And, you know, I've I've been kind of following him right from the from the outside. I've seen what's on social media. I've, you know, heard about things, but to actually hear from him some of the experiences and the timeline of it all is quite fascinating, you know. And I mm-hmm. again, I don't really envy <laughs> envy that position, but 
I appreciate that there are people like Kyle who are, you know, taking that on. Um, yeah, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, this was like, like everything was fresh, the first lockdown. And we were yeah. all like, oh, we got to get through this. It'll be done in a few months. And we did uh, a, a, a local pastor here, Karen Schellenberg, came up with this idea of doing a whiteout campaign. You know, like the Winnipeg Jets are known for yeah. the whiteout in the playoffs. And we tried... Wait, which I have to say is confusing when they wear blue. But, <laughs> yep. It's the fans. The fans. Were... I know. I know. It's a blizzard, Ryan. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, I hadn't thought of that. It's Winnipeg. Of course it's a blizzard. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so we, we got people to put up hearts uh, or ribbons, like white, out on their windows or like outside as kind of solidarity for frontline workers. Um and we, we got, you know, yeah, media attention and TV interviews and that kind of thing. But it was like, it was lovely. It was beautiful. Like mm-hmm. there was no, I got, there was no, of course, there's no negative. Uh, yeah. It was so uh, tame, right? So like just yeah. going through that, I think would just cause so much um, ah, anxiety. Just think about what people think about me, you know, that kind of thing. And not wanting mm-hmm. to be in the spotlight in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I think there often is a role for us as, as, um, leaders or even just as Christians to speak out about stuff, um, and figuring Mm -hmm. out what that is, you know, that's, that's hard to do, but you know, from the things that Kyle said, was there anything specific that stood out to you, uh, or that, um, yeah, maybe, maybe rubbed you in a certain way? He's a really profound guy, right? Like I think anybody in our church conference has probably heard of him, at some point, seen him speak, seen his work, something like that. Um, so just so much of what he says, right? Like I, I'm really stuck with, and I'm going to take that back to my church, the, the different periods, right? We loved one another by staying home and staying away from each other. And then we loved one another by going out and getting vaccinated. And now it's murkier. And now what does love mm-hmm. look like? And it really struck a chord with me that, yeah, maybe it's it's getting back together more. Maybe it's taking risks. I mean, Christianity was always, when you live Christianity in a real way, there is always risk. Like there should be, or mm-hmm. else maybe you should be asking yourself what you're doing wrong. But mm-hmm. so yeah, risk can be love. And I think that's a challenge I needed to hear. Yeah. It, it really isn't a murky, that's a good word for it, Carrie. It does feel very murky right now. I mean, it felt clear at the beginning mm-hmm. and two years in and most of us know people who, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm vaccinated and I got it in January and most people know people who have had it and it wasn't terrible and they also know people who had it and it was terrible. And so you have this bewildering array of experiences of COVID uh, among vaccinated and unvaccinated people. And so it certainly blurs the, the lines aren't quite as clean now in in the, in, in the various narratives that are being put forward publicly. And so we're all kind of having to step into this complex space and, and then to deal and then to deal with what we see is coming, hopefully, where restrictions will start to be loosened a bit and we have to figure out how do we unwind all this stuff and how do we actually take a few chances to be together and how do we forgive each other and, and say we were wrong about stuff. And it, it's going to be a... Murky is a great word for what I think is coming. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to have to be prepared to step into that... Uh, some of that complexity and, and, and discomfort. Yeah. And, and, and kind of what we ended up with talking there about forgiveness. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I feel like I've got two years of bitterness in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, as, as a, as a pastor, I feel like, you know, I shouldn't admit that I've forgiven everybody. I love everybody. <laughs> you can edit it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll edit it. Yeah, you, you got all the power. Moses. But Moses, <laughs> it's true. true. Like, I think you've hit on something. We, if we were all honest, we, we could probably say that. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. and in, in different ways, right? Like at the beginning of the pandemic, when we knew nothing, and and I don't hold anyone to account for it, but our gr- grandmother passed away after being in the hospital for two weeks alone mm-hmm. with nobody there, with dementia, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like I blame somebody specifically for that, but I'm, I don't know how to work through that quite yet. <laughs> or, I mean, yeah. yeah, like just working through letting go and, and forgiving uh, some of these things. Um, and then there's been a lot of division in my family about yeah. vaccines and the whole restrictions and that kind of thing. And it's a, it's affected us in ways that, again, I, I see the only way out if we want to get to a place of healing is to work at forgiveness. Um, like if there's one things that, that the church and Christians are about, would that not be it? Like, you know, um, should be, it <laughs> should be, <laughs> Yeah. One of my big regrets about this, this last two years is that it's kind of laid bare the fact that as Christians, we too often operate according to the scripts of the culture around us. And so all my, all my liberal Christian friends are pretty much singing exactly from the same song sheet as the government. And all of my more conservative Christian friends are singing exactly from the song sheet of, of, um, you know, more critical of the government. And what I think we need is, is for followers of Jesus who are willing to have kind of a foot in both worlds and trying to understand people at their best. But how do you do that when there's real stuff that has to be called out? Like stuff that just is unequivocally terrible. Like some of the stuff that's happening in Ottawa right now. Um, it's hard. And, and it's, uh, but, but I do wish that Christians would be, could set some kind of an example in, in bridging these, because polarization and division is kind of the world we all live in now. And we have for some time and it's not going away. Um, it's going to get worse, I think, before it gets better. And so, it, like you said earlier, Moses, if not the church, then who? Who will do this work of, of trying to at least um, understand each other better and not, not race to judgment instantly? Um, it has to be us. Well, maybe a good place to end. Pretend you're talking to me. You know, someone who's struggling with this stuff. It, um, what's that first step? Like, what is the first step for us to actually live into, um, yeah, the practical side of our faith and, and be able to uh, navigate the, the polarization and to work towards healing. Like, is it, you, we've talked about a lot, right? Is it listening? Is it prayer? Is it like, wh- what would you say is the first step for someone who just doesn't quite know? Well, I think you could do a lot worse than what Kyle's doing. Praying the, praying the prayer of St. Francis every morning. Um, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there, I'm looking at it right now. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. All these things that, that, that um, I mean, it's a beautiful prayer. And, it, and it's a beautiful expression of how I, I would love to live. Mm. Um, and I think just on a more pragmatic level, I, I often encourage people in my congregation to, to when, I, when I'm preaching a sermon about division and polarization, I encourage them to think of one person who just supremely pisses them off. I don't say that from the pulpit, but <laughs> I can say it on the internet. Yeah. Um, whose views they find impossible to understand um, 
and 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 think about what you could do to love that person this week and also think about whether or not you could describe that person's views to them in a way that they would actually say yeah that's fair um it's not going to solve every problem but but it's at least going to if you're here wide apart you can make you maybe go one step closer to each other and that's not useless um that's that's definitely progress i think i think when we this is so cliche i kind of hate it but what do we do when there's nothing else to do what do we do when we don't know what to do like we pray it's it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction for us but i think it's an important one that we've developed and hopefully or have developed tonight our church will be gathering in our parking lot to pray and sing because so many people are Mm. just at complete loss of what to do Mm -hmm. and how to respond and how to love their neighbor right now in our city and so that's where we start and we see where god takes us from there and i wish there was like a directive map (laughs) and i hope god reveals (laughs) themselves to us but yeah it's a beautiful start we'll try and i think just building very briefly on what carrie said one of the things that we do when we pray especially for our enemies is that we entrust them to the care of god and the care of God can be severe, and, and it can be also comforting, and everything in between. And so um, we, we don't know what to do with people who we, we find incomprehensible, but God does, we, we believe. And so part of part of our task as Christians is to, as Carrie said, we, 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 when we don't know what else to do, we pray. And, and, and we, um, we say, God, we don't know the way forward here. We don't know how these things will be healed, but we, we trust that there is a way forward and that you love these people better than I ever can. And so um, that's the way, that's the best place to start. And that's a good place to end. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to The Menocast. You can find us at themenocast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Menocast. We would love to hear from you if you have comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com. We would also like to thank Common Word and Herald Press for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick, for another great conversation. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.